Please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're re-entering our series here. I so appreciate Chip preaching for us last Sunday, a great message I got to hear online last week. Hope you, if you haven't heard that, go listen to that one as well. But we're moving back into 1 Corinthians now in a message I'm calling Avoiding Deception. So years ago now, in the first year of our marriage, Joy and I were there in our college town and I took a uh, part-time youth minister role in a rural church outside of the college town. And uh, it was a sweet church, a lot of gardeners in that church, and the people enjoyed giving us things from the garden. Unfortunately, they gave us a lot of squash. And as first-year married people, we didn't know what to do with squash. Even this many years in, I don't know what I do with squash. And we didn't want any more squash. And just in case you're gardening, we don't want any more squash, you know, <laughs> even now. And uh, we loved the tomatoes when they came, but a lot of squash. And so we said, I hope nobody gives us any more squash. Well, that gave Joy an idea for a practical joke on me. And so the next day I'm at the church office all by myself and I'm answering the phones as the calls came in. And so I pick up the phone and there's this sweet older lady on the other line. She introduces herself as Matilda Autry. And there were a lot of Autrys in the church. So this was Matilda Autry, sweet little old lady. And and she said, uh, Pastor Owens? And I said, no, he's not here. He's at the convention. She said, who is this? I said, this is Jim Booth. I'm the youth minister. She said, oh, well, this is Matilda Autry. And I was calling to offer to Pastor Owens some tomatoes and some squash. Then she said this to me. She said, would you like some squash? Well, I didn't want to be rude to this sweet elderly lady, and, and I, but I did not want her squashed. I didn't know how to handle this, so I didn't want to lie either. So I said, well, that might be nice. Then there's, then there's the sound from the other, on the other line, part of the line, wheezing and gasping coming from this. And I think, what has happened to Matilda? She's, she's gasping, she's wheezing. And then finally, through this noise, I hear Jim, and I'm like, hold on, that sounds like I said, Joy, is that you? And finally, when she could get her composure, she could say, yeah, it's me and I got you. <laughs> she was wanting to see what I'd do with that offer of squash, you know. Well, it really messed me up for the rest of the day. I enjoyed that prank. It was, it was amazing. I've enjoyed it all these years later. But the rest of that day in the office, the phone would ring. And, and I thought, it could be Joy pranking me again. So I had to get the church directory and cross-reference whatever name I was getting with the directory. It wasn't Joy for the rest of the day. But I told her when I got home, hey, we can't do this. Truce. Because I'm being kind of gruff with everybody who calls. I'm trying not to be pranked again. And I'm not being as kind as I need to be. So... But that was a good time. That was a really perfectly executed, practical joke. It was a humorous, wonderful deception. I really enjoyed it a lot. But you and I know that when real deceptions come into our lives, they're always painful. Terrible harm is done to us when someone deceives us. In fact, one of the things that breaks my heart is when I see in the news about an elderly person being scammed out of their money. Don't you hate that? When somebody tricks an older one, our senior adults, and takes everything they work their lives for. Few things sadden me or anger me quite like that. It's devastating to be deceived. Cult leaders do the same thing. They'll throw in just enough truth to mislead people into great error. It's very tragic. And maybe some of you, you've been betrayed by somebody close to you. It wasn't a joke like my wife did to me, but, but in the deepest ways betrayed you, lied to you, and broke your heart. Well, the Bible teaches us who's behind all of those real deceptions, and it's Satan. 
We're on our way to 1 Corinthians 3, but would you hear with me Jesus' words in John 8, 44? Jesus, speaking to his adversary, said this. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so you and I need to be on guard against Satan. But we have a passage here today that's going to remind us that we need to be on guard and we need to avoid deceptions coming from various directions. First of all, we need to avoid self-deception. Secondly, we're going to see we need to avoid the deceptions coming from the world. And then third, we need to avoid the deception coming from what I'm going to call small thinking. And we're going to see each of those in our text. So let's go to it. 1 Corinthians 3, let's pick up in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. See with me first, we are to avoid self-deception. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this to the Corinthians, let no one deceive himself. It brings to my mind Jeremiah 17, 9 that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It also reminds me of Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So are you aware that there is a great danger to you coming from you? Are you aware that there's a danger that you could deceive yourself by your own faulty thinking, by your own faulty emotions, you could deceive yourself? And this is why the Bible is so critically important to each of us as believers. It's in the word of God that you can have your thoughts and your actions, even your motives judged by God. You can determine who and what is right or wrong by this objective source, this unchanging source outside of you. The word of God plays that role in the life of a believer because God's word is truth. It becomes the standard of everything you do believe and everything you refuse to believe. So as with these Corinthians, though, we see that self-deception often comes to those who think they are wise. Isn't that true? So every foolish person thinks they're wise. If they realize they were foolish, they would stop being foolish and they'd become wise. So it's very common for a person. Like, I'm, I'm wise. I don't have any mistakes in my reasoning and to be quite wrong. And this was the problem with these Corinthian Christians there in the first century. They had been born again. They had heard the gospel through the apostle Paul. They had believed in Christ, but they continued to operate in far too many ways in their old thinking like unbelievers. And it was hurting the church. Their worldly wisdom was hurting the church. It was leading them into pride and division within the church. And so you and I, as we think about self-deception, yes, we need to be on guard against external threats to us. We can't be gullible in this age, but it's essential to know that you can mess yourself up. You can mislead yourselves. Well, it was a year ago now almost when my sweet mother went to go to be home with the Lord. 
But before her death last August, she had moved up to Richmond about 10 years earlier, and it was our privilege as a family to, to be close to her and to help her with her increasing needs over those years. And you were with me in that journey. You heard me talk about shopping for her every weekend and, and all that. We helped with taking her to all of her doctor's appointments and all that. Very sweet, sweet season of life. But my mother also had me helping with IT. I was her tech support uh, in those years. And mom would send me her grocery list on Fridays typically. And sometimes she'd have email troubles and she would call me. And so she would start like this in the early years. She'd say, Jim, I think I've been hacked. I said, mom, can you tell me how have you been hacked? She'd say, well, I cannot find the send button on my email. It used to be right there. It's not there anymore. And so I'd say to something like this to mom, I'd say, well, mom, I think you probably hacked yourself. I don't think that the Russian cyber gangs are looking for ways to make email hard for senior adults. I don't think they're messing around <laughs> with your screen. If your money's missing, I think that might be them. But I, I think maybe you did something. So we laughed together. I wasn't picking on her. We both got a good chuckle out of that. So through the years after that, when she found herself with an IT problem, she would usually preface it like, hey, I, I'm sure I did this to myself, <laughs> but could you help me figure out what I did? But do you know that you can hack yourself in your life? through wrong thinking, unbiblical thinking in the world. And so you and I need to be careful. Have you noticed there's something in you that sometimes wants untruth to be true? So here we have these sinful hearts of ours, our, our remaining sin nature, and the world is promoting things to us that we know deep down are wrong, but we might start to want some of those things to be true because the world appeals to these things in us. The world would appeal to our pride. The world would appeal to our inherent greediness, our lust, even our tendencies toward anger. And so we can get messages coming from the culture and there's something in us like, I'd like that to be true. I kind of want that type of freedom that they're offering. That just, that just feels right to me. And we need to be careful because we could deceive ourselves. So I want to give us a moment here to really pause and ask the Holy Spirit, each, each of you in your mind, you could ask like this, Lord, would you show me if there are ways in me that I have been misled? Am I believing some things that are not true? Have I deceived myself in some ways into believing things that are contrary to what you have taught? Somebody might ask the question, well, if I'm deceived, how will I know I'm deceived? Well, here's how you know. Are your views in harmony with the word of God? Or are your views in harmony with this godless world around you? That's, that's how you know you have this objective standard of God's word and you get to hold up everything you believe, everything you think up to God's unchanging standard and see, are you in harmony with that or are you at odds with what God has said? Listen, and if he shows you an area where you're out of harmony with what he calls truth, what he calls wisdom, oh, this is a great moment. Lay everything down, trust in Christ. So listen, avoid self-deception. Secondly, avoid the world's deception. And this takes us back into our text. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself, but let's keep reading. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Here Paul returns to what he brought up first back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, this extended talk about the contrast between what God calls wisdom and what this world calls wisdom. Maybe you remember chapter 1, verse 20, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Have you considered with me that the, the wisdom of God is the exact opposite of what the world calls wisdom? 
in those most important topics of life, the world gets it exactly opposite. So let's just test this. Probably the most important topic of all, in fact, the most important topic of all is what you believe about God. Somebody said, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you, and that's true. So what does the world say about God, the most important topic we can consider? The world gets us all wrong. The, the world will say to you about the topic of God, they'll say, well, God is small. God is irrelevant. For many, he's non-existent. But if you do choose to believe in a God, they say you can make him whatever you want him to be. So not, not what God has revealed about himself, but you can choose to what attributes you like and don't like. You can fashion a God that you choose to worship. So maybe you've had a conversation with somebody. You're talking about the, the love of God and all that. Let's say, well, you know, to me, God is more like this. And so it's the idolatry of the mind. So the world on this most important issue of all, who is God? The world gets that wrong. How about another very important topic? And that would be what's true about mankind? What would we say about the self? And the world gets this exactly opposite of what's true. The world says that you are your own God. You get to be your own Lord. The world would tell you about you, that you can determine your own identity and your own path. The world tells you this, that you are essentially good and you don't need a savior. That's the exact opposite of what is true. So recently in our family, we got to celebrate two special graduations in the life of our family over the last month or so. And one was a Christian university graduation. The other was a public high school graduation. Both very special to us, great milestones in the lives of these two daughters and uh, very special. And I want you to know that I didn't go into either one of these trying to be hyper cynical, critical, but I do want to illustrate just how different the way that believers think and talk and celebrate, and the way that unbelievers do. And so at the Christian university, it was exactly as I expected. The believers talked about thankfulness to God in their addresses to the graduates. There were prayers for God's leadership for these graduates into the future. And there was passion for God's glory and his will in the lives of the graduates. Just what you would expect when believers are talking. Again, at this very special high school, public high school graduation, the speeches were very different as I expected they would be. The, the speeches were largely empty of any significant content. There was a little humor in those, but basically all the world has to offer in a setting like that is some trite platitudes. The, the basic message of all the speeches there is, congratulations, you're special, now go fulfill your dreams. If, if you boil it down, that's the best that the world has to offer. Now, I do want to quote one of the speakers, and I'm sure he's a really good man. I'm not trying to pick on him, but, but, uh, but it was the exact opposite of what was true. This one gentleman addressed the graduates. He meant well, but he said, you all are the author of your own book. You are the author of your own life. Then he went on to say, there, there are chapters to be written by you. My heart was registering. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. One of our other church members was there for for the graduation of his grandson, and I enjoyed his chuckle next to me. When he heard that you're the author of your own life, he's like, <laughs> I heard that. And that blessed me, because inside everything's firing off. No, 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 no. No, no, you're not. God is the author of life. That's what the graduates needed to hear. I know they can't hear it in that setting, but that's what they needed to hear. God holds your life in his hands. Wisdom is found in acknowledging him and humbling yourself before him and trusting in the Savior that he offered to you and living a life after his purposes. You're not called to chart your own course. You're to follow a good God who loves you into the plans he has for you. 
As believers think, we don't even pray like this. We don't say, bless my plans, Lord. As believers, we pray like this, Lord, would you show me your plans? Would you show me your path? And would you bless me as I follow after what you've called me to do? So think about it. In every measure, the world's wisdom and what God calls wisdom, they are clashing. The wisdom of the world says this, that you are the product of an unplanned explosion in space billions of years ago. The world says to us that we have evolved and we were not created. Therefore, live as you please. Your personal happiness is your greatest goal in life. There's no God who made you. There's no God who loves you. There's no God who can help you. And there's no God before whom you're going to stand to give account at the end of your life. So you get to proclaim and assert your own identity. Oh, but God says you are his creation and he loves you. And he's given you your identity. You've been made in the image of God. And you have a purpose for this life to know him, to trust him, and to follow him and his purposes for you. And no, you're not going to always be happy in this life. But if you put your faith in Jesus, there's a life coming which will have undiminished joy forevermore. And so what do I do during this life? God's told you, oh, know him through his son, Jesus. Walk with him, trust in him, worship him, love and serve other people and point them to him. So, so be careful to not be misled, deceived by this world. Test everything you believe and know by the scriptures. Now let's come back into our text. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. I love God's confidence here in this text. God's not shy at all in calling out the viewpoints of the world and saying, that's foolish. They think it's wise, but it's foolish. Notice God's not embarrassed at all to be on the outs with the culture. God's not at all working hard to be accepted by those who are foolish men and women. God's not trying to prove himself. And certainly God's not going to get on board with the absurd agendas of rebellious humanity. God sees the world's wisdom and he sees it as adversarial to him. God sees the world's so-called wisdom and says that that's foolishness. God sees the best that the world can do in their so-called wisdom. He says, you know, that's futile. It's useless. It's empty. In fact, Paul told us back in chapter 1, verse 19, that there's coming a time when that wisdom is going to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 1, 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And contrast that with Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so believer, become a fool in the eyes of the world that you might be truly wise. Be willing to live counterculturally in our day that you might walk in the joy and truth of the Lord. Don't follow the blindness and the arrogance of those who don't know Christ. We were told back in chapter two, you and I instead have the mind of Christ. So we should be operating and thinking like Christ. And this is what Paul's telling the Corinthians. There they are in the first century. There they are in the city of Corinth, a very immoral, influential city. And he's telling them, you can't think like that anymore, Corinthians. You have a new mindset, a new worldview. It's going to put you out of sync with some of your family members and your friends in the larger city. It's going to put you out of sync with the values of the great Roman Empire. But you've been called to newness in Christ, even a new mindset. And so, Christian, know that right here, living in this generation, that you're out of sync with the culture. 
You're not foolish like you once were. You've been given the mind of Christ. Now think like that and live your life like that. Do you know that's true? Do you know that you're to live your life like a stranger, like an alien here? So the International Mission Board is headquartered right here. A number of you work for the International Mission Board. And the International Mission Board does a great job of equipping men and women to take the gospel to the nations. And part of that equipping is letting them know what is the worldview of those places where they're going. What are they thinking? Because, you know, people on the other side of the world waiting on the gospel, they, they haven't waited with an empty mind. They already have a belief system already in there. And so our missionaries need to know, all right, what's the starting point for these men and women that I love, that I'm going to leave everything to go reach with the truth and the good news of Jesus? What's their starting point? And so there's equipping goes on. In fact, I have the privilege four times a year to equip missionaries who are going into a Hindu context to understand Hindu worldview. And so I'll expose them to the ideas of karma. And by the way, karma's not true. So don't, don't add karma to your Christianity. It's not true. I'll, I'll expose them to the Hindu belief of reincarnation. By the way, reincarnation is not true. We don't add that into our Christianity. But we'll also talk about how to Hindus, there are 330 million deities. And there's the caste system and on and on and on. It goes. It's, it's a very other worldview than a biblical worldview. And so we don't make fun of Hindus in that context, but we're just, we're, we're equipping. What is, again, that starting point for a Hindu who we hope will come to know Jesus over time as, as they hear the gospel. But I want you to understand, we're equipping people to go live in a very strange world with different ideas. And, and have you ever thought, you know, I need that kind of training for right here in America? Do you not know that you haven't gotten on a plane to go somewhere else, but it's very strange here right now. The worldview of your neighbors, it couldn't be more bizarre in the things they're being told. And so you and I would do well to say, you know, I love my neighbors. I need to do a little study into what is the worldview of these people around me. I know they're not correct, but let me see what the starting point is. Not that I might condemn them, but they need Christ. They need the truth of the gospel. Let me understand their starting point that I might bring Jesus to them, that he might do the same miracle in them that he did for me. Take me out of blindness. Open my eyes. Give me this gift of salvation and, and so much more. And so believer, in these days in which we live, don't be deceived. And can I also tell you, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Affirm that God is wiser than this world. Be okay in understanding that this world ultimately is not your home, not in its present condition. Understand that there's going to be daily in your life a clash of worldviews. What the world says is true, which is not, and what God says is true and which is eternally true. Be willing to be considered a fool in the eyes of your neighbors that you might be truly wise by walking with God in his truth. You have indeed been given the mind of Christ. And I do love verse 18. Let's hear it again. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So, so far we've seen this. Let's avoid self-deception. Let's avoid the deception of the world. And now this, let's avoid the deception of small thinking. Avoid the deception of small thinking. This takes us back to verse 21. So let no one boast in men for all Things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This takes us back to Paul's concern for the divisions that had erupted in the church at Corinth. And it was an embarrassing division. They had divided themselves up 
up in the name of their preferred leaders. Remember we saw back in chapter 1, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. They were all divided. And Paul says that's not only worldly thinking, but that's, that's thinking far too small. Why would you choose one leader in the church to rally around when all of these leaders belong to you in Christ? You shouldn't be glorying in any man anyway. You should be glorying in Christ. But why would you choose just one? You're thinking too small. Verse 21 again. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours. He even closes verse 22. All are yours. He is expanding their understanding from the small way of looking at things to, this, to God's vantage point for his children. So here's the truth. You're in Christ and you are a recipient of all that he has. He's telling the Corinthians, you're a child of God, and therefore all of his servants belong to you. All of them are beneficial to you, not just one of them. You're a child of God, and you get to be blessed, and you have a stake in each of these apostles and their ministry among you. Apollos belongs to you. I, Paul, belong to you. Peter belongs to you. This is all yours. Why are you thinking so small? So there's no room for rivalry and jealousy in the kingdom of God. What Paul says here is really mind-blowing, and so I had a head start on you this week, obviously, studying the passage, considering the impact of this. And so just let some of this sink in and maybe even this afternoon, ponder these amazing truths with me. Paul says here in verse 22, the world is yours in Christ. Paul says this is amazing. Life and death are yours in Christ. Verse 22 also tells us that the present and the future, they are yours in Christ and here, this idea that every minister, every apostle is yours. He says, all things are yours. I started thinking, what is, what is this like for us? So, so it's really like being the child of a fabulously rich father. And that's us. Everything belongs to God. And you are now an adopted son or daughter of his. And so everything that's his is yours. Now, rich children don't get to control everything that their father might own. But it's theirs. They are heirs of these things. And that is us. It reminds me of... Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you know that you are a joint heir with Jesus? Sometimes we think too small even about our salvation. We can think, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and that's kind of the extent of it. Listen, that is a glorious truth. I mean, think about that. That is amazing. There's a reason why we fixate on that. I'm not going to perish in my sins. I get to live forever with God in heaven. That is right to celebrate. But there's so much more even in your salvation that you get to experience even now. Maybe you've been thinking too small about what it means to belong to Jesus. This is huge. And Paul's wanting the Corinthians to see the magnitude of their salvation, to not think so petty as they were doing. Do you know these truths? Do you know that you are a joint heir with Jesus? That, that all that's his is really yours, and you're going to experience it, especially in eternal life to come. But it's already true that all this is yours in Christ. Do you know that you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit? If you put your faith in Jesus, when you trusted him, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. The same spirit involved in the creation of the world, the same spirit involved in raising Jesus from the dead, that same one, God the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. Have you been thinking too small about what it means that you're a Christian? Do you know he's given to you his inerrant, infallible word to guide your life? What a treasure he's given. He's given you a great life mission, the great commission that you're to be preoccupied with until he calls you home. And do you know that you're eternally secure in Christ? That nobody can snatch you out of his hand. You're held by his grace and his unfailing love. 
So let me ask, are there ways in which you've allowed yourself to think too small as a believer? Satan would love to have you thinking too small, deceiving you into thinking that you're a Christian and that's not that big of a deal. Listen, if he can convince you that this is a small thing in your life, that being a Christian is insignificant, then no wonder you're going to be bored and apathetic as a Christian. No thrill for you because you think, I don't even know how this helps me now. If Satan can deceive you into thinking small about what it means to be in Christ, he will cause you to be timid and overly cautious if you forget who you have in Christ. So aren't we told some great promises? How about Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you don't know that, you think, I'm weak. What can I do? This is great what God's, he's making himself available to you to give you power for this life he's called you to. Listen, if Satan can get you thinking small about what it means that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's going to have you distracted and he's going to have you become a petty person. That's what happened among the Corinthians. They were upset and invested in all the wrong things. And Paul's saying, would you, would you pan back? Would you see all that's yours in Christ?" including you have the mind of Christ. So how can we avoid these costly deceptions in our lives? Here's the key. It's vital for us to remain in the word of God. And it's vital that we pray about what we see in the word of God and appropriate it all into our lives. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So as a church, we're committed to preaching the Bible. We're going to preach the word of God here. Whoever the preacher is, Chip last week, I'm here this week, whoever's preaching here, it's going to be the Bible. We need it. And every life group is going to feed you the Bible. Our wonderful children's ministry, it's the Bible we're giving to these kids. And our wonderful student ministry, it's the word of God. It's the Bible. It's essential. But not only is it essential that we do this together in here, and it is vital, but in your own personal life, that you're taking up as regularly as possible the word of God into your life. This, this is what keeps us from being deceived. Where you can see the greatness of what it means to know Jesus every day. To never forget that. To watch out for error. To see the, the lies of the culture. That you not follow them into error. But you can move into the culture with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're reading the word of God. Can I remind you how to do it? If the concept of reading the Bible is new to you. Let me just coach you just a moment on that. Set us out a time each day where you're going to schedule and guard some time to meet with the Lord doesn't have to be tons of time, but 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to meet with the Lord and, and take, take a, a book of the Bible and begin to work through that systematically, not just hopping around the Bible, but let me start, for instance, in Philippians and let me read chapter one today and mark it up and, and pray about it and apply it to my life. Maybe tomorrow, chapter two, and I'm going to read that, but walk through the book of Philippians, then move to another book in the Bible. You can come back to those same books of the Bible, but spend time in the word of God. It's how we avoid deception. And then pray, Lord, would you shape me by this? I want to be different. So read and respond to your great God. And then finally this, we're talking about deception. And we can be deceived in our own mind and by the culture, maybe thinking too small. Maybe you're here today and you recognize, you know, I've been thinking all wrong. My whole premise of life has been erroneous and I now see it today. Maybe you thought that God was just small in your life. You just needed a little blessing from him from time to time. That's the opposite of who he is to you. He is your maker. He is your life. And he wants to be your savior. He gave his son to die on a cross to cover your many sins. And he raised him from the dead on the third day. And the promise of scripture is if you'll believe in him, you won't perish at the judgment. But you'll have everlasting life. And 
Do you see today that you need Jesus? You didn't know that before, but today you say, I need Jesus. I must trust in Jesus alone. Today, would you do that? And you can do that in prayer. Let me give you a few moments right now. As we bow our heads, we close our eyes. Would you right now, if you see your need for Jesus, would you ask him to save you? To rescue you from your sins? You can, with your own words, right in your heart. Jesus, would you, would you forgive me of all my sins? I thank you that you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. It's very clear I need to trust in you to make me clean, to make me righteous, to give me this gift of everlasting life. You can continue praying to him. Lord, would you now lead me the rest of my life? I want to know your thoughts. I want to walk in your ways. I want to be wise in your estimation, not in the eyes of the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. We, we do bow the knee before you again. We do declare again that you're wise. And, and we want to bring your wisdom to the world around us as we share the gospel. Help us to be faithful until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.